And we have a bonus episode for you today. Welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast. Reggae Lover Podcast is Khalil Wanda. And I'm Agard. What up, people? Thanks for joining us. We got a nice bonus episode lined up where we talk to the host of The Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. If you're a listener of that podcast, you've heard Khalil Wanda on there as a guest before. This is a show that features reviews of classic albums. Originally hip-hop only, but now including R&B as well as reggae albums and dancehall albums. So the host, Brian Cox, was able to sit down with us for a conversation. Yeah, shout out to Brian. He gave us a lot of insight into where his family's from, actually, uh, Grenada, and also what was going on back in the day in the D.C., the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So it's very insightful as to, first of all, Grenadian culture, and you know also what was going on in DMV in terms of Caribbean culture and how that influenced him growing up. So it was a pretty good conversation. Yes, indeed. So here is our special guest, Brian Cox of the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Brian Cox is here with us, the host of the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Welcome to Reggae Lover, man. Yo, man. Thank you for having me, Khalil. Hey, God, man. I appreciate it. Big fans of the show. I'm blessed to be able to come here and share this with y'all, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. We appreciate you guys as well, man. Indeed. Yeah, man. We wanted to talk about this whole Caribbean-American situation. You know what I mean? Like, Agard and I, we're... Even though he tries to claim first-generation American, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was born in Guyana. Came here real young, though. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, he came real young, you know what I mean? I came a little bit later, so I dropped, you know, right in, yeah, literally the middle of 1990, mm. that summer, I dropped off in Brooklyn, <laughs> <laughs> fresh out of Kingston, but you know what I'm saying, born in Guyana as well. So yeah, we well familiar with, obviously, with our experience, and we speak from our perspectives all the time. In regards to being a reggae lover, being a selector, being a part of dancehall culture and, and sound system culture. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to get your opinion, because I know you are of Grenadian, Grenadian descent. Yes, Grenadian, 473 Spy Style. Yes, big up. Indeed, I am. And I was born here and all of my siblings, except for one, were all born here. My parents, both from Grenada, they met here in the D.C. area and... You know, it's funny, like Grenada is a small island. It's only a hundred, you know, as as y'all as Jamaicans like to say, a small island, you know, so we're small island people and <laughs> they, you know, but it's it's very divided. You know, you got the countryside and town. My father's from town. My mother's from the country and they didn't meet each other. They met each other through mutual friends. And uh, through when we came up here, you know, my other three sisters were born and I grew up here, but Grew up, growing up in a Grenadian family on both sides. Um, the one thing about Grenadian people is that one, they're a very tight knit culture. Everyone that came here in DC with my parents and their friends sort of formed like a little community. So all of their friends that they knew from back home, the collective group of friends, we all kind of descended here in Washington in the DC area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my childhood was spent around Grenadian people and other West Indians as well. So I always kind of tell people that 
I was born in America, but like on my Instagram profile, my personal one, I say that I'm a Grenadian born in Babylon. So that's how <laughs> I like to identify myself yeah. um, because I mean, my parents never wanted us to forget our heritage, man, because that was very important to them. They wanted us to know where we came from. And trips back home were a frequent occurrence to visit our grandparents who were down there and other family members. And so it was a frequent occurrence going down there during the summertime for weeks and months at a time to go spend time in Grenada and really be immersed, never forgetting where you come from. And then being back up here, being around other West Indian people, but namely Grenadian people, when it was time for carnival or time for Grenadian independence or when you had different other Grenadian groups visiting the DC area and they came to the embassy, you were always around our people. And that was an important part growing up because it shaped a lot of how I was um, as a youth, but then also growing up as a young man. And when you start to understand the whole thing about knowledge of self and knowing your history and your culture, it definitely stuck with me a lot more as I was older. And um, sometimes you try to shy away a lot from that because you know, your parents come to school, they speak with a different accent. People make fun of your parents, you know what I'm saying? Just like they did with the Africans. And uh, the older that I got, man, I was just like, yo, yeah, I'm proud. I'm Grenadian and I'm proud. Yeah, I'm American, but I'm Grenadian and proud, proud of my heritage and my culture, man. So it was an interesting childhood growing up in this country and coming from such a small place that had such an impact on so many people that came here to this country and the Grenadians that were there that were, you know, attempting to be able to uplift the people. So a good childhood and a good experience, but interesting one growing up, growing up really between two cultures, one that was American and one that was distinctly Grenadian. I appreciate that. You know, I'm thinking now that like there's a pretty big Grenadian community in the DC area. Is that, is that correct? Or is just that really like your circle is just, you know, heavily Grenadian? Yeah. Well, it's a big, it's a pretty big one, all things considering. I mean, there aren't but men, so many of us here in the world, even the ones who have left and, and come to immigrated to America. There's a pockets of Grenadians, lots of places. Of course, New York, where all Caribbean people, the majority of them tend to go and, and congregate because so many of us moved and through the, you know, early part of this, early part of the migration in the 50s and the 60s. My parents were all part of that. Okay. It was, uh, it was a, a, a big congregation of folks in New York and always in DC, some places like Atlanta, definitely places like Miami. And when you hang around Grenadian people, other West Indians come around. I mean, when we had parties and stuff, there were there would be Jamaicans, there would be Bayesians, definitely Trinis. There were Vincentians, of course, as Grenada and St. Vincent make up, you know, the two of them with the Grenadines. So we had yeah. a big Vincentian culture as well here in uh in DC. So tell me about the music at these parties, you know. So let's take a break to talk about one of our great sponsors. I tell you what, I was listening to an audio book about Bob Marley on Audible entitled So Much Things to Say. Mm -hmm. It's an oral history written and performed by Roger Steffens. He spent time down in Jamaica interviewing everybody, including Marley and everybody that was around him. So I'm talking Rita Marley, Skill Cole film crews that were down filming him, you know, all the members of the Whalers. He's having these conversations in these interviews that he also collected while he was doing the radio shows. He put all this information into a book. What's so great about it is it, it just immerses you into the experience, quoting Peter Bunny, the incidents that happened with Bob getting shot, the concert when he brings the two political leaders on stage. And so you really get the excitement, the energy of what is going on. That book right there, 
I strongly recommend it to any reggae lover, anybody that's into Bob Marley, and we have a special deal. Go to Audible and get a free book, free trial of Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. And there you can grab a free copy of this book. And the reason why I like Audible is because I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to sit there and leaf through the pages because I got work to do. So I like to listen to books in the car. If I'm riding a bike, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. There's so many different ways that you can actually learn new information or be entertained. You know, me personally, I like nonfiction. I like biographical stuff. So Audible is a great tool to use in order to take in that information and still go along with your day. Audible, they have the best narrators. You know, you're able to keep where you're at in the book. It's a very convenient way to take in new information and be entertained. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. So much things to say. The title by Roger Steffens, Oral History of Bob Marley. These Grenadian parties, you know, what's what's the percentage? Break down the genre percentage of the playlists of the parties, you know, that you would have in D.C. And then also, can you just speak on what you experienced in terms of the soundtrack when you're actually in Grenada? Yeah. So the parties growing up and we always always people always had parties, house parties and gatherings. And there will always be, of course, lots of food and there would be, you know, a pot of curry chicken here. And, you know, someone will make oil down pot of oil down here, which is Grenada's dish here. And then, you know, what's, rice and what's peas. oil down? I'm sorry. Um, you you got to oh, educate man. us. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've heard the term before, but I forgot exactly what it is. Yeah. Yo, hey, God, are you in yeah, Brooklyn, man? You should be able to get some good oil <laughs> down, man. <laughs> oil, oil down is Grenada's national dish. It's a dish made of, you have provision, of course, as my mother and West Indians like to call it provision. So sweet potato, blaga, yam, fig, all, all those some some vegetables, but mostly it's made with some sort of salted meat. And the salted meat is mostly pork, so it's pig or beef um, or even or a salt fish. And it's uh, cooked in a big pot, a big coal pot, and it's uh, made with coconut milk. So mm. you cook it and let the coconut milk boil down. You mix everything up, let everything mix up. And then at the end, you should get a product where the coconut milk has boiled down to a layer of oil at the end as, it, as the cooking process Oh, wow. the milk into oil. And as you mix it up, you mix everything up with the oil or the fig, the salted meat and everything. And then you get a pot of oil down. And so mm. you get a proper pot of oil down. You're going to get a, a little bit of everything in there, a complete meal. And uh, it was things that we had frequently. A lot of these parties when we were Grenadian, it was always uh, sometimes you go to a party and a pot of oil down wasn't be there. You'd be kind of disappointed, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it would be oil down, I mean, you know, curry go, everything, rice and peas, all types of okay. stuff there. And it's music playing. So the music that we had playing was especially Grenadian Calypso. So you had a lot of Ajamu, um, Inspector, a lot of Scholar, Black Wizard, um, so many different Calypsonians. And Ajamu is like our Calypsonian king. He's won more Calypso monarch titles in Grenada than anyone else in history. And you would have some of that, but then you would also have some reggae. So... You would have, of course, you know, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh. You would have Marsha Griffiths, Sly and Robbie. A lot of old school reggae, like vintage 1960s and 70s reggae 
because that's what the old folks like to listen to. Old folks mm-hmm. did not do dance all oldies, oldies, you know? <laughs> oldies. <laughs> and so, so you would hear a lot of that. And of course, there would always be a bar at somebody's house. And I always like to joke to someone as if you have to check to make sure if you had a West Indian house, if there's a bar, some sort of place to keep liquor around. So there's this music playing. And it's folks like my father and his friends sitting talking and they talking West Indian politics and sports and the women are sitting there talking about anything. And then there's the kids who are sort of upstairs and we're playing our own music, not so much hip hop or anything like that. But if we were playing music, we were playing dancehall because that was the music that, you know, we were immersed into when okay. younger folks, we love to listen to dancehall and the newer reggae music. And occasionally you have someone upstairs to come use the bathroom and, they're here in dance hall playing in the background and there's all, all types of stuff going on. They said, all you cut that off, cut that nonsense <laughs> off. So it's, um, it was just a really fun experience growing up in parties like that. But then you started to transition into going to more of the public events, like these um, festivals that they would have where you would see all kind of West Indian people, but you would gravitate towards your own. Obviously you go there and see people that you would see at a lot of these other house parties. A lot of my parents, friends and people that they knew from back home, so we were immersed into a lot of the different West Indian music. And it wasn't just Canadian Calypso. We were starting to be introduced to soca. So you would hear a lot more Trinidadian soca and some Bayesian soca. But definitely reggae was the more popular music at these festivals out there. And in Carnival, we had DC Carnival that was happening. It was every June. And uh, DC Carnival, though, no longer. Well, it doesn't happen in DC anymore because they have a combined carnival with DC and Baltimore. But DC Carnival was a big thing as well. And it, was, it grew the more the longer that it went on the crowds got bigger and bigger and it wasn't just people in dc you would have the caribbean folks from new york coming down and caribbean folks from toronto and from atlanta and everybody hearing about dc like dc was one of the bigger ones you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah well you know we used to always joke because whenever the grenadian folks and our folks from new york would come down to come to carnival and they'd be like man this ain't no carnival man all you need to come to eastern parkway and liberty that's carnival you know but it was our it was our thing and it was our chance really for the city to at that time was still Chocolate City. It's not so chocolate anymore, but you could talk about that with a lot of major cities around the U.S. now. But because D.C. was so black and it was the Chocolate City and it was the capital, it got bigger as the years went on. So more people started coming from farther out. You started seeing the posse from New York and from Atlanta and Miami were coming up to spend time specifically just here to come to D.C. Carnival because it became such a big event. And as the years went on, we got bigger acts to come do um, show was during DC Carnival. So during the last couple of years that they were there, we were having some pretty big reggae acts. You know, I remember I think one time when we went there, uh, Sizzler came there and did a show. Capleton came there and did a show. Some of the other soca artists like Michelle Montano came there and Cass and Rupee and a few other artists that would come through because they were realizing how big that it was. And that was really the soundtrack. Now to go to where the soundtrack was in Grenada, it changed as the years went on. Because when you first went to Grenada, the only thing that you heard was Grenada and Calypso. Right. And that was it. Soka really wasn't big in Grenada. As I remember as a youth, when I used to go down there, Soka really wasn't that big until I would say recently. And by recently, I mean like in the last 10 or 15 years. And now it's, it's the big thing, of course, in carnival season in Grenada was the Calypso Soka Monarch con- con- competition. And that's when the biggest artist on the island would go and compete year after year after year. And so what you would hear would mostly be Calypso and that would be it. And you would hear some other Calypso, like, of course, Sparrow and Kitchener and, um, you know, Byron Lee and the Dragonairs and things like that. All this stuff that my, fa- my father had 45s. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, forty five. <laughs> you know, the real foundation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you would hear most of that, but as I started to go to Grenada, as I got older, you could see that the the arms of the Caribbean was starting to spread out a little bit more. So you started getting influences. The youth started coming up listening, not just the calypso. They were listening to all types of music from around the Caribbean. So they were listening to a lot of Trinidadian soca as well, because there's a big link between Grenada and Trinidad. There's a lot of synergy between the two islands. A lot of Trinidadians will say that they have roots of some of their family were from Grenada. And I've talked to a lot of my Trini friends and they said, oh, you know, my grandmother, she was from Grenada. My grandfather's from Grenada. My great grandfather. So a lot of Trinidadian soca, more Bayesian. But then these last few years that I've been there, a lot of dance hall. And so what you see is the music culture started to develop where it wasn't just Calypso. The competitions were growing. Now you had Groovy Soka Monarch and Power Soka mm. Monarch. And you, then the acts started to emerge from Grenada during this time where you start to get acts, as you see, like Talpri. And Talpri was one of the biggest ones that we saw more recently. But even now, when you go to see Grenadian Soka artists like Mr. Killa, and Killa actually won the Soka Monarch competition, the International Soka Monarch competition in Trinidad. You know, yeah, big up, big up, Mr. Killer. Big up, Mr. Killer. And Killer had a thing this year. He didn't want to go perform in the Soka Monarch competition. He made a big, a big thing about it because he said things weren't right. But it was many people that were saying that. But you start to see the the culture and the music start to change as the next generation sort of moved. And Calypso was still a big part in Grenada, especially I went down during carnival season. In the beginning, in carnival season in Grenada, they have these things like Calypso tents where you have many different tents in different parts of the country. It could be from Grenville, which is in uh, St. Andrews and in St. Patrick, like Livera, even Guav. Guav is where Kirani James, who Kirani James, the 2012 400-meter gold gold medalist from Grenada, um, which is on the western side of the island. And in St. George's, which is where my family, most of my family lives on my father's side have plenty of Calypso tents. And that's where they pretty much kick off and debut live performances of the songs that they're going to do in these Soka and Calypso Monarch competitions. And as you, as I went there the last time there during carnival season, you could see a lot of Calypso tents, but the Soka scene had grown so much from when I was young to now so many years later as, you know, you have the internet and of course so many things are going to reach and people from the Caribbean travel to different islands and those who are interested in, doing so many different types of music will go to different islands, work with different producers and work with different artists. So I was surprised to see how big of a thing that Soka was. And then not only that, but to see that there were reggae artists in Grenada too, which was kind of weird to me because I never really equiv- uh, uh, you know, made the equivalent between Grenada and reggae music. But you would see there are artists in Grenada that would do Roots and Culture and Dancehall and, and Lovers Rock and Many of them were leaving Grenada to go to live in Jamaica and live in Miami and New York to go record because the opportunities that they had there were greater. But um, everything sort of changed after a while. The radio stations, there were more radio stations. The radio stations there now, I mean, they broadcast live. I watch at least a couple of shows on 95.1, which is uh, FM, which is one of the biggest radio stations on the island. And the big thing that I guess that I had to pull from that is that I've seen how much that Grenada has grown as a culture where they're accepting of so many different other musics and music and the artists are now starting to get international recognition outside of the island and with, with um, going and performing so many different places. And now when they come places like the United States, you know, they sell places out. And Mr. Killer was actually here in a club. It was Bliss in D.C. And I actually went to Bliss to go see Beanie Man perform about three years ago. And 
the place was about just as packed when Beanie Man was there, when Mr. Killer was there. It speaks volumes to see just how far, you know, how far Grenadian music has come in about 20 years, I guess I say, since this transformation has happened. So they got sound systems out there? Reggae sounds? Yeah, I mean, that that I'm not too up on, you know? I've never really uh, researched that, but I wouldn't surprise me because the, it's amazing the type of things, man, in, in these countries, and you know, in these West Indian countries, as you all both know, being a, a part of the culture, yeah. how people can pull things together to be able to make things happen. And in a lot of these places, you know, people don't have money, people are poor, they're living pretty much by job to job and check to check to be able to help support family. But if the sound systems that they come out, I'm not educated as far as what sound systems are actually in Grenada, but you know, they're all out in full force in carnival season. And mm-hmm. they've obviously taken a big hit this past year because right, everything's right. been a lockdown due to the virus. But okay. um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm not educated on the ones that are there, but I'm sure, I mean, if it's, if it's reggae artist in Grenada, then I'm sure the sound systems there too. Right. Yeah, there's got to be, you know, I mean, we know this, um, the same type of trend you're talking about um, with Guyana, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, back when mm-hmm. we were young, it's like, yo, Calypso, and mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, some soca, and then it's like, all right, reggae is the natural next thing, dance hall, and, you know, they got big sound systems and reggae festivals and, you know, these type of thing, clubs and stuff like that out there. You know, you have your Guyana Stone Love and <laughs> Guyana, <laughs> Guyana, what, Blunt Posse? Yeah, some, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Guy- <laughs> Guyana Soul Supreme. I don't know. <laughs> Montserrat. And like, when I heard mm-hmm. Montserrat, I was like, what? Tiny little island. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, tiny. Um, yeah, man. The, all the, of course, Antigua is big in, in the dance hall and, um, and the Virgin Islands. You know what I'm saying? Bermuda as well. So I um, was curious about that, man. I'm sure there are sound systems down there and they're developing. And I'm pretty sure when I go down there, as the years go in the next few years, I'm pretty sure they'll be big. And as things are sort of progressing down there in Grenada, it seems to be the natural mode of progression as things go on. That's what's up, man. Well, I want to turn a little bit in the conversation. I know you've established yourself as the Grenada ambassador at this point. <laughs> That's probably the most, <laughs> I've, most I've ever heard about Grenada in my life. So thank you for that. <laughs> and yes, I, I live in Brooklyn, but um, I think in Brooklyn, what happens is it's like this Caribbean Brooklyn experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, like I have friends mm-hmm. from Grenada, but we've never ever spoken about Grenada just like how I never spoke about Guyana you know it's just like it's just the yeah. Caribbean experience in Brooklyn you know what I mean yeah yeah I think it's because when we get into communities like this man and you know when you get around people such as yourself in this like sort of Caribbean community it's more so just a vibe and people just you as you be as you're being around other Caribbean people like all, all islands have different personalities and people but when we get together it's more so, so about just celebrating being around each other and the um, vibe and the positivity and you'll get into some conversations and stuff like that. But you're right. I mean, Grenada is a small Island, man. So people, there are not many of us around, you know, so (laughs) we're, um, you know, when you get two Grenadians together, they'll definitely start talking with each other. And Grenada is such a small place that you can literally talk to somebody. And it's more so with the older folks, they can mess around and know somebody's mother or father, their aunt and uncle. And yeah, (laughs) right. So, but no, nah, I definitely feel you. But I think it's more so just the vibe of just being around each other, celebrating, you know, positivity, good vibes and things things like that. 
as a podcaster yourself, you know, I listen to um, Amanda Seals podcast from time to time. And yeah, <laughs> she's probably like the most famous Grenadian right now on the yeah. <laughs> doing her thing. Yeah. So yeah. she represents, she talks about, you know, back home all the time and does yeah. these like stories. She like impersonates her mom's accent and, you know, it's like, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it is. Amanda, man. Yeah. I just, I was, remember I was shocked when I, saw like you know i was somewhere i saw a post on instagram and saw that she had the flag up and then i saw a skit mm-hmm. and i was like wait man this girl she must she must be grenadian <laughs> you know because in no way she putting this flag up and speaking like that and somebody in her family couldn't be grenadian so i did a little bit of research on her and it's funny man like i said how grenada is a small island so when i talked to my parents about her like yeah you know this is girl she's on insecure this television show on hbo and she's grenadian and when I said her the name, they was like, wait, what's her last name? So naturally enough, they know her family. Right. You know, like no people in her family and where she's from, a particular area in, in Grenada where her family is from, that family name, the seal's name. And uh, it's uh, funny enough when she did the essence shoot earlier last year, I believe it was, she did a shoot in Grenada. Mm-hmm. The One of the places that she did the shoot from was actually uh, the Belmont Estate, which is in St. Patrick's. And uh, it's a uh, famous place that actually used to be a place where my great aunt lived. And they've converted it now into sort of like a, the place where they made cocoa. And that was the place where the Grenadian Chocolate, Grenadian Chocolate Company actually was based at where they made cocoa and uh, the uh, chocolate candy there. Now they make their own chocolate that Belmont Estate makes there. That's actually run by my family. And so they got in touch with her, my cousin, and my aunt who run it. And her people came there to do the shoot at the Belmont Estate. And I was watching the video and I was like, wait, man, that place looks familiar. Mm. Yeah, man, that's the estate. That's what it is, you know? So man, Y'all might be cousins, man. You know, you never know. Nah, nah. I checked with my, par- my parents. <laughs> He's I'm like, nah, like, sure I already related. They was like, nah, man. She, um... Nah, but they look, that's always a joke with Grenadian people. They was like, you know, you can't date another Grenadian because you don't know you might be dating your cousin or something like that or somebody far down the yeah. line. We, we got the same joke with Guyana still. <laughs> it's only a few degrees of separation. So Yeah, man. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, man. The Vault Classic Music Review. So this is a uh, show that we do. Been doing it since about August of last year. Uh, I came up with the idea of coming up with the show because I spent a lot of my time, especially when I was in high school and college, having these debates, mostly about hip hop, but about music in general. Uh And once you start getting on social media, you move on, you move further away from high school and college and get into life. And you guys see it all the time, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, and people bring up these debates about music and they start talking about this and this album being a classic or, you know, people would start to come out. I've seen, especially in these last few years, that people, someone will release an album and then all of a sudden somebody is deeming it a classic off the first week that it's come out, which to me, I can never understand why people do things like that. Like how can you deem something a classic a week after it's been yeah, released? You know, you don't know night. how that's sometimes yeah. the same night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't understand that, man. So I came up with an idea that I wanted to have a show that I really dug into the classics and I wanted to dig into the topics of music and the time period, to me, I thought that was appropriate for to deem something a classic. Because we all know the albums. You know, you listen to them, to times pass. You know classic music when you hear it. But you really need to, in my opinion, need to let time pass in order to be able to truly assess whether or not it's a classic or not. So I had this idea and I talked, you know, to a few of my friends 
couple that I went to high school with and one that I went to college with. I went to college at Morgan State in Baltimore and said, yo, what if we were to do a show, man, to talk about the classics? And I'm not just talking about anything that came out recently. I'm talking about back at least 20 years, 20 years and back, at least to a point where we can still assess the music from what we could remember. So I came up with the idea to do it 20, 25 and 30 years in any given year to review classic albums and potential classic albums that came out during that time period. So when we started, I started last year, the 20, 25 and 30 year marks back then were 1999, 1994 and 1989. And it started out just us doing hip hop albums. So we did a lot of hip hop albums last year. We did, you know, Biggie, Ready to Die, Nas, Illmatic, uh, the Roots, Things Fall Apart, Most Deaf, Black on Both Sides, Comments, Resurrection, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, DJ Polo and Cool G Rap, Roads to Riches. And as we went on, we started gaining a following. But, you know, other people were sort of talking to me and being like, yo, man, like, what about this album? What about that album? They weren't hip hop albums. They were, you know, like R&B albums. And they were like reggae albums. And people would be like, know that I'm a reggae fan, say, yo, man, you should do this album and do that album. So I went and I looked at the calendar coming up for this next year and I saw the you know, R&B albums that came out, researched as hard as I could for some of the reggae albums because that was a little bit harder information to find uh-huh. um, just from off a of personal recollection, but then going to see what else came out during those years. And I was like, all right, so we'll include R&B and reggae albums in that too. We'll start that next year. Uh-huh. It won't be as many as hip hop albums, but we'll see and we can sprinkle a few in there to sort of change things up. And so we decided this year we were going to start with R&B and reggae albums in addition to hip hop albums. So this year we're doing albums from the year 2000, 1995 and 1990. For the R&B albums that we've done so far, we've uh, done D'Angelo's Voodoo and done BBD's uh, Poison. Poison. And for, yeah. <laughs> and for uh, both came, uh, well, Poison came out in 1990 and Voodoo came out in 2000. Yeah. The reason I say that is because, you know, remember I said I, I dropped in Brooklyn in 90. So yeah. that was one of the, <laughs> I didn't have a yeah. lot, you know what I'm saying, at the time, but that was one thing I did have was that, <laughs> that <Poison>. tape. <laughs> yeah, that tape, yeah. I think that tape popped. It did, it did, <laughs> man. It did, it popped, and there are hits from that that still pop today. And for reggae albums, um, Khalil was actually a part of this a few weeks ago. We did, um, in addition to the, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> 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 Yeah, we did a um, did a uh, guest lounge with him to feature, you know, him and the regular of a Highlander sound. But we also we did Capleton's More Fire, and later on this year we have a few more reggae albums left lined up. Just a few of them is uh, Beanie Man's Blessed, Buju's Unchained Spirit, and Luciano's um, Where There Is Life. Yeah, When There Is Life. Right. Yes, Luciano When There Is Life, and the of course Buju Banta Until Shino, which. Is an album that is very important to me, probably within my top three favorite albums of all genres, all time. We have a few other reggae, reggae topics that we want to have lined up in albums. And it's important to me to sort of kind of look back because the differences in perspectives when we talk about you reviewing these classic, classic albums, whether it's hip hop, reggae or R&B, the differences in perspective of when you were a youth to now and how that music has sort of changed and your perspective on that music has changed, I think is really what kind of makes the show go. Because you find in a lot of times that when you have truly classic albums that your feelings about it may not change negatively, but probably positively more so than anything else. Because true classics never die. And 
for the ones that we can definitely certify as classics, uh, it's we all have the same prevailing feeling is that, you know, this still still rides. This is still an album that can go even to this day that you can run through no skips that it makes you feel a certain way. You sort of remember when you hear that thing about music and the great thing about music, it takes you back into the time what you felt like when you first heard that music, you know, you can sort of reminisce and know those feelings that sort of come back, you know? And so that's really what I wanted to sort of achieve with the vault classic music reviews is that we wanted to sort of let people know, like, listen, you got to let music breathe. You can't deem it a classic that night or five minutes after you listen to it or a week or even a year or five years, you got to let it take some time because there have been albums I've listened to and thought was great in the first listen. And, I would say maybe two, three, four, even five years later, I'm not even playing it anymore. So really just taking the the qualities of what makes a classic and looking at those albums that we see that are classics or potential classics and giving you a fresh perspective on what they are and what they were and what they are. Yeah. And that's really what I want to accomplish. And things have been going well so far. So we're excited about what's, uh, what's coming up next. Yeah. So tell people how to find the podcast and, you know what I'm saying, how to get involved. You can find the Vault Classic Music Reviews on social media a few ways. On Twitter, which is uh, something that I use to uh, interact with music fans a lot. I'm on uh, Twitter on at Vault, Vault Classic. You can also on Instagram get us on at Vault CMR Podcast. That's at Vault CMR Podcast. And on Facebook and YouTube, you can search The Vault Classic Music Reviews and you'll be able to find us and you can like and subscribe to the YouTube page. And if you go on any one of our social media handles on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, there's a link tree. The link tree has all the streaming sources that were available on. So anywhere where you can get podcasts, the most popular ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio and Stitcher. And you can find us there. And there are links, of course, as well to all of our social media to link you back there as well. So that's where you can find it. Episodes are published every Monday. Personally, on Twitter, you can find me on at its lesson and at its lesson on Instagram. And you can also follow my company, which produces the Vault uh, Classic Music Reviews and also Raw Sex Podcast, which is Ivy Creative. And that's I V E C R E A. Give thanks, brother. Yo. Give thanks. Yes, man. Bless. That's some real music lover stuff yeah, right man. there. Dude, I, I I definitely have to catch up. I like I like the style. I like it. I like it, man. You know what I'm saying? I already have some hot takes that I want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man, I welcome all hot takes, man. It's uh, the one thing that's great with me and my crew, and we sort of, things have sort of slowed down with this COVID thing, but we're starting to pick things back up now. But, you know, we all have varying music taste, and though we like similar things, there's some things that we don't agree on, and I like that because disagreement and debate adds to the flavor of the show. So I welcome all hot takes and all perspectives, man. So I'm definitely looking forward to listening and love what you guys do, of course, on a regular level podcast. Like I find myself being educated on a lot of different things that I didn't know about. And like a lot of the shows that I've listened to, I listened to the uh, episode that you guys had with Lila Ike and, and that, that just was a, she's a really, really dope artist and, and good vibes and, and listening to things about sound system culture. Hey God, you've got me researching sound systems now, man. I wasn't that big into it before, but You've uh, you've made a fan out of me, and I'm I'm blessed to be here to be with y'all, man. And anything that comes to uplifts, not just reggae music, but Caribbean people worldwide, I'm all for it. Well, yeah, definitely, yeah, man. We appreciate that, and I think with our show, we don't assume that everybody's like you know 
an expert. And that's that's the whole difference here. You know, I think a lot of times in the reggae community, there's a lot of there's a lot of resources to hear about the culture and what's going on. But I think the assumption for a lot of them is you, you already know this. You already have to know this. So we try to take our audience along for the ride, man. And it sounds like you guys do as well, because some of the albums that you said, tell you the truth, I'm sure you probably have listeners that either were very young or weren't even alive, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I appreciate the education on that level too, you know what I mean? Because like there's this thing now, I mean, what, we're on Generation Z now? And, you know, (laughs) who knows what they think about classics. I've heard, I've seen some really disrespectful stuff (laughs) on social media, you know what I'm saying? debates about like people like jay-z you know what i mean like what <laughs> who what's there to debate yeah, yeah. I, I saw something on twitter the other day man guy i follow man who's a hip-hop podcast that said he saw a list man with somebody enlisted ll cool j as the 45th best rapper of all time i said that person has no concept of history or anything about how hip-hop started and the originators and the greatest i said 45 i said there's 30 the 35 rappers out there potentially better than him I mean, yeah, are they? But I, I would love to see that list because, yeah, man, you see all types of yeah. stuff, man. Things are out there. But it's interesting you mentioned that. I had a guy from Turkey hit me up on Twitter tell me that he listened to my episode from Most Deaf and said that he learned a lot about it. He had never known anything about it, so he wanted to reach out to me and tell me that, you know, thanks for putting that out there. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot from your podcast. So yeah. definitely add some value to it when you get things like that, feedback from listeners that, tell you that, you know, you did something and helping to educate them and also to put them on to something new. Yeah, man. And definitely, I, I appreciate it too, man. Look, I look forward to revisiting some of these albums, man. And, you know, maybe we'll talk on, on uh, I'll send you a message on social media after I listen to some of these uh, episodes because I definitely, I definitely have some hot takes about some of the albums that uh, you mentioned. Indeed. I look forward to hearing from it, man. Yeah, definitely check it out. And I'm still listening to Reggae Lover. Great work as always. So, Brian, before we out of here, man, what's your top five reggae dance hall all time? Ooh, you mean albums? Um, No, I mean, I'm going to say artists. Artists. All right. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Man, so if you're talking yeah, about... Albums would be too easy for you yeah, because, yeah, you know, that you're would... already, yeah, that's yeah, already yeah, what yeah, you yeah. do on yeah. the vault music classic music reviews you know what i'm saying we got to take you to a different frame right now okay and put you on the spot <laughs> okay so if we're talking about dance hall specifically about dance hall then i'd have to sort of put it into this vein and i have to include him in this to me my top of is always buju you know because that's what i grew up listening to buju is the reason why i became a reggae fan in the first place he's my number one everyone else after that i could sort of put in there so if i would have to say buju Definitely Bounty Killers and up there. Uh, definitely Beanie Man. Uh, another one of my favorite. The last two is really where I kind of get caught up if we're talking about dancehall artists. But I have to go vintage, man. Definitely I have to put someone in there like uh, like uh, Shaba because that's the, he's another reason why I'm a fan of dancehall. As far as like pure dancehall, definitely Shaba. And then my last one, oh, I don't know, man. It's... Uh, if I have to go vintage again, I have to sort of put it out there and say super cat, okay. you know? So I, those, those are the cats I'm rolling with. And I'm a, Ooh, I'm an old school fan. So, you know, Bushu, Bounty, Beanie, Shaba, and super cat, because that's the music that that's who got me into the music out of the, as a youth. And those were some of the top dancehall artists there. And, you know, some of them have been doing as time has gone on and, you know, but those are probably my top five 
there are many other men. I know I'm missing some others, man. There's others that I listen to as well, like, you know, Cuddy Ranks, there's Yellow Man, you know, um, a female dancehall artist, you know, I listen to a lot of um a lot of Lazy Saw and Patra. And, you know, but then we start getting into, we break it down into roots and culture. I got another list for you there too, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and Love is Rock, I got another list for the, for you too. And okay. <laughs> so, okay. but if we're talking about dance hall, those are my top five in dance hall. But if we break it down into different sex, man, I got different lists for you, but I can list all folks like, you know, like Barris and Sanchez mm. and Capleton. And, you know, we just, who we just talked about. Yeah. The other artists that we talk about, listen to a lot of Dennis Brown. You know, we talk about things like with Bob Marley. I even think he sort of transcends reggae. So that's even to go without being said. But, right. um, but you know, um, lots of lots of things on my list. But when it comes to dance hall, those five right there, those are my yeah, That's a solid list. I, I can't even I can't even really argue with that list at all. Very solid yeah, that's, list. That's, that's a, a real reggae fans list. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> yeah, some, some people would have like Shensia or something in there, you know? Oh, nah, man. Nah, nah, nah. It's, um, <laughs> I, when it comes to reggae nowadays, man, I found myself in a love-hate relationship with a lot of the new stuff, man. But I do like a lot of, a couple, a few artists, just a couple that I can name if I can really quick is, um, yeah. Chronix, um, of course, you know, big, big things that Chronix does. I'm a big fan of his sound. And John Ayn, of course, um, I just actually listened to her album, Note to Self, not that long ago. I mm-hmm. fell in love with her music because of her voice and um, and the vibe that she puts forth. And I actually follow her on social media. And those two have done a couple of collaborations as well. So they're two yeah. of the ones that I follow follow nowadays. When it comes to more so dancehall, dancehall nowadays, man, it's, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I can maybe throw a couple of folks in there like Movado and Cartel, of course, but you know, the, the mainstays, you know, are going to be there, but some of the new kids I'm still trying to get onto because the sound of reggae and dance hall is so different than what I was used to coming up with, you know? Yeah. That's definitely a, a, the general consensus, especially for people in, in our age group. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's definitely, I, mean, I, I don't think anybody from our generation would disagree with that. Uh, I'm, I'm in a love hate relationship with reggae right now. Well, dance hall reggae right now is my, myself, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you know, maybe that's another <laughs> another episode. But yeah, man, we yeah. appreciate what you're doing, man. I think it matches well what we're doing over here with what you're doing over there. You know what I'm saying? So really appreciate it. The Vault Classic Music Reviews at The Vault CMR on Instagram. Check out episode number 29. Yeah. That's the first reggae classic review. And all those albums, you know, you talked about a number of different albums and what immediately i thought of like hip-hop evolutions immediately because i'm like you know they brought it from the, the the north to the south to the east to the west and in between and you know what i'm saying you kind of captured albums from like all over the place which that's the thing that i think is really dope and it really shows like yo this is a real real music head real you know what I'm saying? I don't want to call you a nerd, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I wear that. I wear it. I wear that label yeah, proudly. That's and a good I'm thing nowadays. Yeah, I'm a junkie, man. It's it's um, hip hop is is more than just the coast, man. It's everything in between, and now hip hop is worldwide. Um, just like reggae is becoming worldwide, and so if you're gonna cover it, you have to cover all aspects of it because all aspects contribute to the culture. You know. Just like different Caribbean music all contribute towards the culture, whether it's reggae, soca, calypso, compa, you know, um, salsa, merengue, whatever. They all contribute to the culture. So just as you have it with that hip hop, 
from all different areas from the Midwest to South to the Gulf Coast to the West Coast to Upper Midwest to all that. They all contribute to the culture. Yeah, man. This has been wonderful. Thank you once again. Thank y'all. Be safe out there in D.C. It's crazy out there, yeah, son. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's crazy, but, you know, it'd be a lot less crazier once we get this fool out of yeah, office, man. man. And, and <laughs> don't get hit by any falling statues. <laughs> no falling statues. I'm out the way and in the house, man. Y'all be easy. Be you blessed. Too, man. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Great bonus episode there for you. Big ups to all the Spice Island people. Yeah, man. And shout out to Brian. You know, unfortunately, I could not make the latest recording that Khalil did with um, with him on the Vault Classics show. You know, I will definitely make that up to you guys. Yeah, man. So make sure you check out that show. Another podcast in the music commentary category that's very consistent, very good quality. Thank you for checking us out. Share the links to our show. Look out for these bonus episodes coming to you every now and then. Thank you. Be easy. Until next time. Peace. Regular Lover Podcast was produced by Andres Agard and Aubrey Khalil Agard. Visit regularlover.com for full show notes, archives, and more information. If you're interested in a sponsorship or donation, please email info at regularlover.com. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Podcast. So let's take a break to talk about one of our great sponsors. I'll tell you what, I was listening to an audio book about Bob Marley on Audible entitled So Much Things to Say. Mm -hmm. It's an oral history written and performed by Roger Steffens. He spent time down in Jamaica interviewing everybody, including Marley and everybody that was around him. So I'm talking Rita Marley, Skill Cole, film crews that were down filming him, you know, all the members of the Whalers. He's having these conversations in these interviews that he also collected while he was doing the radio shows. He put all this information into a book. What's so great about it is it, it just immerses you into the experience, quoting Peter Bunny, the incidents that happened with Bob getting shot, the concert when he brings the two political leaders on stage. And so you really get the excitement, the energy of what is going on. That book right there, I strongly recommend it to any reggae lover, anybody that's into Bob Marley, and we have a special deal. Go to Audible and get a free book, free trial of Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover, and there you can grab a free copy of this book. And the reason why I like Audible is because I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to sit there and leaf through the pages because I got work to do. So I like to listen to books in the car. If I'm riding a bike, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. There's so many different ways that you can actually learn new information or be entertained. You know, me personally, I like nonfiction. I like biographical stuff. So Audible is a great tool to use in order to take in that information and still go along with your day. Audible, they have the best narrators. You know, you're able to keep where you're at in the book. It's a very convenient way to take in new information and be entertained. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. So much things to say. The title by Roger Steffens, Oral History of Bob Marley.